and her mother, Ann Jarvis, not to be mistaken for her, Anna Jarvis, her mother, Ann Jarvis, was a peace activist. And in her lifetime, she was alive during the Civil War. She actually cared for soldiers on both sides of the war. She just cared for anybody who had need and was one who would love and care for others. And Anna was so struck by this that she wanted to honor her mother. In her experience, in her life, he saw her mom as the, the, in her words, she says this, the person who has done more for you than anyone in the world. When she would think of that, that picture of a mother, that's what she thought of and say, hey, I, I want to honor that person and carry on the work that she does. And so uh, she led this campaign to start Mother's Day so we can thank those for their loving, caring, and, and serving hearts. And so uh, if we can go beyond the scope of, of the title of mom, but just all, all the ladies in our lives that, that, that fit that description, which is, you know, all, all the ladies in my life, and I imagine the same for you, that that loving, caring, uh, a sacrificial love that they show their family. We just thank you for that. And, and for those of us who are here today, which uh, this is really true of all of us, um, we've all been made. I don't mean like an Italian sort of way where we're part of the mob now or, or like where your cover's been blown if you got some kind of secret lifestyle going on. And if that's your case, we can talk afterwards. Uh, I'll be happy to pray over you. Um, but uh, we've been made in the sense of we've all been created. Regardless of what your relationship is like with your mom, uh, you were created. You were made. Uh, there were certain activities that took place, and we're not going to go any further than that in detail because no one wants that picture in their head. Uh, but there were things that happened that when about roughly nine months later, you were born. You were made. You were created. And the circumstances around that story varies from person to person, right? Each one of us has a different story to tell. Um, I'm going to pause real quick here. If you're in fourth or fifth grade, uh, man, you should have been dismissed a long time ago. So you can go ahead and head out, fourth and fifth graders. Uh, if you don't like where we're going with the message, just kind of head out with them and just kind of crouch. You can go and, and, and catch their lesson as well. I will not be offended. All right, that was your warning. Here we go. <laughs> so we were all been made. The circumstances around our stories, each one of us, uh, might be a little different. Uh, maybe... The story of, of when you were born or if you have kids when, when they were born, maybe it was a joyous one that just was amazing for you. I know when my first child was born, uh, we named her Evie. Evelyn is her full name, and it's a derivative of, of Eve. And it was just this picture of new life. As you think of Eve, uh, the first woman, this, this picture of new life for our family. We had some complications, and so the fact that we're able to have this child was a beautiful celebratory thing for us. Um, maybe uh, your story of when you were born or when your children were born, for those who have, was an unexpected one. It was kind of whether it was an oops or just a, hey, this wasn't the way I thought things would pan out. Maybe there was a, a mix of joy and, and fear, or maybe it was just one or the other, whether it was expected or not. Maybe there was pain and difficulty and tragedy, that there's all kinds of different stories. But here's what we know to be truth, that we were all made. And we may not all agree on this point, but as I look through the pages of Scripture, as I come to know our Father in heaven more, I see a, a clear truth that we are all made by God. And what's interesting, to be made by a creator infers that there's a purpose for which we're made, Right? If we're made by a creator, there's a purpose for which we are made. I believe that is always true. There's a reason for everything that has been made by a creator. Even if it's something that's just as simple as one of the things I would do when I would come home from school, well, grade school, junior high, uh, as I was a latchkey kid, so I came home and there's a few hours where it was just me in the house. And uh, sometimes, and it kind of started, you know, I, I would want to make cookie dough. 
And, and so then I would, I would say, okay, what other ingredients can I mix in here? And, and sometimes it had nothing to do. It wasn't something I was going to eat at all. It was like, I just want to mix things together and see what happens. You know, you kind of learn about that baking soda and vinegar thing. You want to see, well, what else can have a reaction? And in the kitchen is not all that much. It's pretty much just baking soda and vinegar. But I, whether it was the purpose of I was bored or I was experimenting, it could be a real simple purpose. But still, there was a purpose behind what was being made. Maybe things are made uh, to try to solve a problem. I, I remember in grade school, they had an inventor's competition. And one of the things, we had a golden retriever who loved to eat, uh, which is also true of all my toddlers. Um, but this, this, this uh, dog just loved to eat. And, and so when you put the food bowl down, it would push it across the floor. And you'd have to go looking, searching for the food bowl because the dog would just push it as, as she was eating. And so I thought, well, man, let's invent a food bowl holder, which is basically just a place for those things that kind of lock in. And that was my adventure. I was trying to solve a problem. Some things are made because you're trying to improve something. Maybe there's something that's already been made. Uh, and say, you know what? I, I want to improve this. Um, you know, something that we've seen in our lifetime is people trying to improve the book. So we have books, now we have e-books, and you have e-book readers and all these different things, and you go from what used to be a whole bookshelf to now a small little device. Um, when I was a kid, I don't know if you ever had any friends who had this, or maybe you had this in your home, the, the encyclopedia. Uh, you had like all these different uh, books that had all this information in it, and now you just go on a website, Wikipedia, and you probably get just about as much information, if not uh, more. But th this isn't the first time that we've tried to improve on the book. See, back in 1922, uh, Admiral Bradley Fisk invented the reading machine. Uh, that's what he's got in his hand right there. And his thinking was, if we can miniaturize books, we can put them on higher quality paper in really small print, and they're easier to ship, easier to own, easier to transport, and all these good things that come. In order to read them, because they're so tiny, you put them in the Fisk reading machine, which is basically just a magnifying glass of sorts, and this is how you would read a book. He's trying to improve upon something. And obviously, it, it didn't really take. We don't have Fisk reading machines in, in every library in every corner because who really wants to sit like this for the next three hours while they read their favorite novel? But he saw some issues that he was trying to solve. And so as we think about things that are made, having a purpose for which they were made, as we think about the fact that each one of us here today has been made, the question stands, what were we made for? What is our purpose in life? What is the reason for which we are made? And that's where we've been walking over these past couple weeks, and that's where we continue to walk for the rest of the month of May. And we started talking about that we were made to glorify God. Above all else, first and foremost, we were made to give God glory. And we talked a little bit last week about how we are made to care for the world. We kind of took two different aspects of this in which we looked. Uh, as we looked at all that God has made, first we saw that there was a portion of creation that's elevated. So God made all these different things and said it was good, and then he made something that said it was very good. It was, it was his image bearer. He made man and women in the image of God. Out of all of God's creation, that's the only creation. We are the only creation that bear the image of God, and that there's an elevation of that. And so we talked about how as we are made to care for the world, we need to have an elevation of our mindset as we think of other people because they're image bearers of God. But then we also looked at, at the whole of creation and saw, hey, as we trust in Jesus, as we're redeemed by the work of Jesus, we see that we're still called to steward this earth. 
It doesn't mean we have the one side of, you know, the leave no trace, which from a camping perspective is a beautiful picture, but from a life perspective, uh, it's okay to leave a mark on this earth because it's been given to us to, to live in and, and to have dominion over. But we also need to be good stewards of it, to care for it as God's creation. We want to kind of zero in on this a little more. As we look at caring for the world, and we look at this morning that we were made to care for one another. We were made, you could say, to love one another. And that's one of the reasons I, I know and I believe that each one of us here have been made. And so the question is, are, are we living a life in the reality of how we've been made? See, something I know is when something is used in the way it was intended, things just go so much smoother. More is accomplished. It's, just, it's a beautiful thing. If you've ever seen someone try to use something in a way that it wasn't intended, you, you can understand the point here. But uh, let's look at, are we living in a way that is loving one another? If you got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up the 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you're not familiar with where that's at, you can pretty much open up almost all the way to the back of the Bible. Uh, you'll find Revelation at the back and go forward a few chapters and you'll find 1 John. If you need a Bible at any point, we have these few Bibles, take one. Take two, however many you need. If you want a, uh, one for yourself or one for someone else that needs one, take one uh, and, and make that your own or give it as a gift. Uh, we're, we're happy to replenish these for that purpose. And also, we always talk about on a Sunday morning, uh, it, we want you to have God's Word in front of you. Whether it's pulling out you know, the, uh, the Bible in, your, in, in paper or, or the uh, Electronic, what you'll see on, on the screen, or turn on your Bible if you use a, a smart device of some sort. Get God's Word in front of you. Uh, I think for some of us, Sunday morning scriptures, uh, maybe what was the first step into God's Word for us? If that's you, um, let's continue in that, but let's not also make that the only time that we're in God's Word. Uh, my heart and prayer for all of us, for each one of us here this morning, is that we could uh, make Time in God's word as regular as time at our, our, our table. You, know, you have three meals a day, lunch, or hopefully you know, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Maybe you spread it out over five or uh, just kind of have one massive one that day. But the fact of the matter is, is you eat throughout the day. In the same way, let us feast on God's word throughout the day, throughout the week. Let it be a regular part of our day. But for the sake of this morning, we're going to jump in here to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. A couple of things I, I want to unpack in this passage. You go ahead and leave your Bibles open to that. This is where we're going to be for the rest of our time here together. But one of the first things that we see is that we are made to love one another. Real simple, real straightforward. We were made, amongst other things, to care for, and to love one another. We see that in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I know verse 7 is more of a uh, uh, in-response sort of love. Because God has shown us great love, then we can show others love, right? But chapter, verse 7 there is more of an identity love. 
because of who you are, because of who God has made us to be, we're called to love. Love one another because uh, you've been born of God. But the truth of this is, is we, we fall short, don't we? I think even with the best intentions, we fall short in, in, in loving and caring for others, in loving and caring for one another. I'm sure we can point to stories of ways that we've succeeded, but we can also point to stories where we've fallen short, maybe in minor ways or in major ways. You know, last week we were talking about how uh, we can see in Genesis that, that when God made creation, when God made man and woman, that, that we have dominion over creation, right? But then we pulled back and said, but is this still true today? Do we still have dominion over creation? And we talked about different stories in which uh, um, man, creation has shown its power over us, right? I mean, if you're familiar, if you've been following the news, you can see this in Hawaii right now, where they're dealing with volcanic eruptions and lava flows. And uh, that's going to be one of the most interesting ways to just have to see nature's power, where it's just this massive but slow-moving power that's going towards uh, towns and homes and, and, and belongings and uh, villages and all that, and it just slowly makes its way there and just wipes out everything in its path. As we see things like that, as we see things where people are, are um, attacked or, or injured by animals, we see that, okay, we don't necessarily have dominion. And we asked this question last week, well, what happened? And we see that brokenness happened. We went against God's purpose. We went against God's will and, and, and brokenness. A scripture we call the sin enters the picture. And, and it changed how we interacted with creation. It changed how we interacted with the world around us. Uh, but fortunately, we saw that it's then redeemed in Christ. And we see this in one of the beautiful ways that Christ had power over creation, right? He could quiet a storm. He could walk on water. Uh, when trusting in him, uh, his disciples were able to walk on water. Peter climbed out of the boat and walked towards Jesus. And then when his focus turned from Jesus, when he got distracted, he began to sink. So we see that we at one point had dominion over, but that was lost because of brokenness, but it's redeemed in Christ. Well, in a very similar way, I think that's this call to love. We were made to love. We were made to be in relationship with one another. That's one of the things you see uh, throughout the creation story is these, these pictures of, of relationship. And, and yet brokenness comes in the picture. Brokenness messes it up. And so even in, in our best intentions, we fall short. And see, we can share stories uh, that are void of love. Whether it's our own brokenness, our own shortcomings, or those where others have gone against us and, and left us in a position of feeling unloved, uh, we're broken. And so we're made to love one another, but we fail. But fortunately, we are remade to love one another. We are remade in Jesus to love one another. Look at verse 10 here. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the payment for our sins, to be the replacement for our sins. For our brokenness, the ways in which we've gone against God, separate us from him. Break down that relationship with him. Break down our purposes for, uh, we can no longer fully live out how God has designed us and called us to live because of our brokenness, but God sent Jesus, his son, to live a perfect life and to take our place. Because see, our brokenness leads to death both physical and, and, and a spiritual separation from God. But Jesus gave up his life on the cross so that when we trust in him, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord, that our sins are forgiven and we take on the very righteousness of Jesus because he pays the price for us. 
If you ever heard this phrase, where Christians talk about being saved, this is what they're talking about. Apart from Jesus, we're dead in our own brokenness. We're separated from God in our own brokenness. But when we trust in Jesus as Lord, as the leader of our lives, as Savior, the forgiver of our sins, we believe that he is who he claimed to be and who he showed himself to be, that we believe he is God. When we take that step, we're saved from the consequences of our brokenness. We're saved from the consequences of our sin. And we're given life in him. So when we surrender our lives to Jesus, uh, the Lord of our lives, and we turn from our ways, we repent and go the other way, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. See, we become a new creation, Scripture teaches. We are remade. We are made anew. And what's interesting is this is an ongoing process that we're called to. You unpack some of the different passages in Scripture that talk about this concept of a new creation. It's not this imagery of one and done. Like, all right, you've been made new, now don't mess it up. This weekend, I was, I was helping clean the house, and um, if I'm being transparent here, it wasn't out of one of these, hey, Mother's Day is coming up. Let me just show my wife how much I love her and help, you know, by cleaning up the house. It was the, I'm, I'm, I'm ticked at my kids for the mess they keep making, and I'm losing it. And, and there's a little bit of me that's got, you know, uh, just a little bit where things just, like, I, 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 I'm going to do it myself. Stay out of my way. I'm just going to do it myself. And I was kind of a butthead. And I went through it, I cleaned it all up, and I vacuumed here, and I wiped this down. And as soon as it was done, you know what my heart was? Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Don't look like we live here. Just, just, just go somewhere I can't see and don't do anything. And that, was, that was what was going through my mind. I know that's not, that's reality. And I, and I came down, and I apologized, and, and, and sought forgiveness in that for being a butthead. And, um, but that's not the kind of picture that Christ paints for forgiving, forgiveness of our sins. It's not this, hey, you're remade, you're new, now don't mess it up. Yes, we're called to be holy. That's actually what we're talking about next week. We're called to be holy. But the picture isn't one of don't mess it up. And if you do, oh well, you're out of luck. But it's this picture of every day putting on the reality of who you are. Every day being reminded that you are a new creation. Every time that you do fall into sin, that you do fall into brokenness, that you repent, turn and go the other way and come back to the cross, receiving the forgiveness that's found there. In the same way that every day we put on new clothes, clean clothes as we go out throughout our day, we're to put on the fact that we are a new creation in Christ. And so if you've ever felt like, man, you know what, I've experienced forgiveness, but I messed it up because after that I did this. It's not too late for you. You didn't do anything that any of us haven't done in the sense of we're still human, we're still fallen, we still fall short. And so I encourage you to continue to come back to Christ because we are a new creation in him. We are remade. And, and that brings us back to our original purpose. We're remade in Christ to love one another. We see in verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When we think about the ways that we're forgiven, the ways that we are made new, think about this picture of baptism when you go down symbolically in the water and come up. It, it, we share in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, this new creation. When you walk through that, we, we think of reminded of what God did for us and what he continues to do for us as we daily live in this reality of being a new creation. We daily put on again the the the, the Perf the, the perfection of Jesus. We're reminded that if God so loved us like that, 
we also ought to love one another. So we're remade to love one another. But the truth is, I think sometimes we just don't know how. Have you ever felt that way? You see someone, and you're like, you know what, I'm not sure how to love them. I mean, seriously, maybe it's even a situation where frustration or anger or difficulty is somehow mixed into that situation, and you're like, here's what I think I should do, but my heart's telling me a whole bunch of different things. What does it look like? How do I show someone love? Well, honestly, let's look at the picture of how Jesus loved. See, we are remade to love one another a certain way. We are remade to love one another as Jesus loved us. See, that's the kind of love that God is calling us to love someone else with. Think for a moment, what does it look like? What does the love of Jesus look like? Now, each one of us comes in here with different backstory, different experiences. So maybe you grew up in church and you've heard all kinds of stories of the life of Jesus and you know all kinds of things that he did. Maybe this is your first time in a church this morning. This is your first time hearing the story of Jesus. Uh, we've already shared a little bit about what he did. That he, he came and he gave his life up on the cross and, and, and that kind of begins to paint this picture. But from what you know, how would you define, how would you describe the love of Jesus? See, I think that's one of the beautiful things about spending time in God's Word is we get to see more about the life of Jesus. We get to see the ways in which he loved others. We get to see the, which, the, the way in which he would, he would pause and he would go against social norms. When, he, when there are children around, instead of shooing them away, he would get, no, no, let them come to me. When there are women in need, he would go against the social norms of his day and he would stop and he would address them and he would engage with them, which was something that would have been uh, countercultural in that day. So what did it look like? How did Jesus love? A couple things I want to hit on. First, Jesus loved sacrificially. He gave of himself. He laid down his life for the sake of others, ultimately dying on the cross for our brokenness. Jesus loved sacrificially. Jesus loved with a servant's heart. He came as a king of kings, and yet he lived a humble life as a servant. One of the most beautiful pictures of this that we see is um, at the Last Supper before he goes on this journey that leads to the cross, He's washing his disciples' feet. It was a common practice that would have been done by a servant. You'd actually prepare for a servant to be there if you're throwing a big house party. You, know, you got to line up the caterer. You got to make sure the house is clean. Uh, call me. I'll be happy to help. <laughs> you got to uh, line up all these different things. And one thing is you make sure there's a servant there to wash people's feet. And that hadn't been done at this, this Passover meal. And so Jesus takes it upon himself to take care of the, the most humble of jobs, the lowliest of jobs, and to serve his disciples by washing their feet he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Those are some of the ways that, that, that Jesus loves. But there's one more I want us to zero in on today. We want to jump back to our text to see it. Look at verse 9 there if you can, if you got it open still. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is the love of God manifest amongst us. The, the picture of God, God's love is this right here. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That God sent his son into the world that we could live through him. Yes, that emphasizes what we've already talked about. The love of Jesus is a sacrificial love. It's a servant-minded love. But one of the things I see in here is that Jesus loved us with his presence. Jesus loved us with his presence. That he was sent into this world. And even when he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. And so for those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells inside us. And so there's a presence of God that is with us. See, one of the greatest ways that we can show someone love is with our presence. And, and just stick with me for a minute. 
Think about what I just said. One of the greatest ways we can show God's love is with our presence. Sounds kind of narcissistic, doesn't it? Sounds like I'm so awesome. The best way I can show you love is with myself. It's like going home and saying, honey, put a bow on your head. Happy Mother's Day. I'm your gift. And I'm your gift for your birthday. And I'm your, because really the best way I can show you love is with myself. But that, that, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. It's not this narcissistic, self-serving, self-minded, but it's the, the best way I can show you love is by sacrificing and serving you and giving of my time and giving of my attention. Giving, see, see, to be present in something requires our energy, our, our, mental, our mental, our physical, our emotional energy to be present in that moment. God loved us with his presence. Think about the, the, the one another's in your life. Whoever comes to mind, we're, we're going to unpack a few of these here in a moment. But think about who are the one another's in your life and how have you shown them love? Where have you excelled and, and just done an amazing job at showing love to others? Where's it almost come natural for you? Where have you struggled? Where has it been a constant battle to show love to the one another's in your life? Well, as we think of how to live this out, I want you to think of the picture of a family. We're going to unpack it in a couple different ways, but think about a family. Think about the, the images of family in your life, and are you showing love to one another? Now, regardless of what your title is in your family, whether you're husband, wife, mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, second cousin twice removed on your mother's side, in-law of any sort, grandma, grandpa, grandson, granddaughter, did I miss that? Stepbrother, half-brother, step-sibling, Whatever your, whatever your title is in your family, we're all called to love one another. But I want to walk through a few examples here. And honestly, men, I'm going to pick on us a little bit. I'm going to pick on us as, as husbands, as fathers, as men in our family. But if that doesn't describe you, these are still things, ways in which you can show love to your family. The examples I'm going to use are, are going to be geared towards that demographic, but really these can be played out. And anyway, one, one of the reasons that I want to do that is because, see, we have an opportunity to set the pace in our families. We have an opportunity to set the pace in how we love our family. That hopefully others would follow suit in that. And some of us may be playing catch-up. We have an opportunity to love our families well. This is an important thing as well when we stop and realize for those that have kids that, that there's a significance in children. There truly is. As we see in Psalm 127, uh, beginning verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They're a heritage. They are from the Lord. They're a reward. They're a blessing. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Is anyone else looking at your kids and thinking about Hawkeye right now? <laughs> at least someone, or is it just me? Am I the only weird one here? That's okay. That's okay. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. We all have a different amount of arrows in our quivers, and that's okay, but we need to see that children are this blessing, are a heritage, part of a lineage that God has given us and blessed us with. And so men, 
Let's just take a minute to, to speak to each other here about how we can lead the way. Again, wherever your title is in family, these are things that can apply, but I just want to zero in on the men here for a minute. Men, love your families by being present. Love your families by being present. See, there, there is so much that fights against this. I, I think one of the things that fights against being present, I don't know if you've ever felt this, I've felt this at times, is this, this desire to be perfect. And we want everything to be just right. I want to be the best dad, I want to be the best father. And then we realize that we're not. And then we realize that, hey, I feel like I'm just kind of just barely getting by. I'm kind of making it up as I go. And all of a sudden, we feel like, well, I don't want to show this broken father. I want to be perfect. And so then we're not present at all because we feel like, well, I'm not good enough. I'm just going to mess things up. And so my family be better off without me, whether it's you physically remove yourself or you mentally or mostly disengage. We think, well, I'm not good enough and I don't want to mess things up and so I'm going to just disengage. But that's just the exact opposite of the direction in which we need to go. As I was on my warpath uh, cleaning up the house this weekend, um, there's certain battles that I, I choose to fight every time with my kids. Yeah, there's some where I'm like, yeah, whatever, you want to do this, you want to do that, you know, you want to wear something goofy out of the house most times, you know, I'll give a suggestion, but then the day you want to go out looking like a goofball, that's fine, um, I can relate. Um, but there's some battles I choose every time, and one of those is obeying their mother, respecting their mother. And this is one of those days where just they were like, like raptors when they get fed the cow in Jurassic Park and they're testing the fence. I mean, all the kids were just testing the fence and they just kept pushing the mom's buttons, pushing the mom's buttons. And, and there came this moment where uh, it was a simple little task. And one of the kids asked for help and Sarah answered. And they did the complete opposite. And in hindsight, it was a, an honest mistake. But that was just like the last, I, I was just, I got real upset. And I'm like, you know, your mom asked, and it's, it's not about what you did. It's about the fact that you didn't listen. And I was probably making a bigger deal than I should have. And I was broken in that moment. And so I could take the response of saying, well, hey, I don't want my kids to experience that brokenness again. And so I'll just back out. I'll just disengage. But the truth is, the best thing we can offer our kids, the best thing we can offer our families, the best thing we can offer those who we love is to say, I am here. I'm present. I'm broken. Let's discuss. See, this is one of the reasons why at the end of the night, a pattern that I've shared with you before, something I do with my kids, is especially if something like this happened, is, hey, are we all good? Is there anything you need to say? Or, hey, I got some things I need to say. And a chance to kind of have that, that conversation where we can talk about it. And you know what? You know what I've never experienced? I've never, you know, maybe anger is still there. Maybe you don't want to talk about it right in that minute. But I've never had my kids say, you know what? Why don't you just leave, Dad? Why don't you just leave? But instead, this, this, okay, let's, let's talk about it. And maybe you're in a situation where there's so much brokenness, there's so much difficulty, maybe that's where you feel you're at that point. But you know, and I know deep down inside, what you ultimately long for is presence of that person in your life. You want them to be there and to be able to work through those things. Maybe you don't know how. But if you struggle with the striving for perfection, know that we all do, and we all fall short. And the best response we can give is to be present in those moments and, and to show our loved ones, men, to show our wives, to show our kids that, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm broken too. And this is how I rely on Jesus in the midst of that brokenness. This is how I look to God's word to see how do I work through these. This is how I make it right through apologies, through I'm sorry's, through will you forgive me? So don't be scared away by this desire to be perfect, but continue to press on and be present. 
I think sometimes where we're not present is because we're doing something else for those that we love, right? We say, hey, I, I want to provide. I want to be the one who gives provision in your life. And so we sacrifice our presence for our provision. And, and provision is a good thing. And a lot of these things we're going to talk about after, that some of these are good things that should be a part of a family. But if they take precedence over our presence, then we've fallen short. We, we've given up a great thing for a good thing. And that never goes well. If you believe that your best spot in your family, if your best spot with your loved ones is your provision that you can offer over your presence, I would encourage you to simply ask them, what would you rather have? What would you rather have? More of what I can offer, more of what I can provide, or more of me? And see what they say. And and I get it. Every picture is not perfect. There's difficult, there's brokenness, there's hurt. And so if, if this is a pattern you've been walking, if you've been doing an amazing job providing for your family, but you haven't been given your own presence, there may be a point where the answer you hear may not be what we're expecting. But again, I think deep down inside, if we get to the heart of the matter, if we get to really what are we all longing for, this relationship, this connection with other people, we will see that, man, we will take presence over provision any day. Think about loved ones in your, your life who have already passed. I think how many times you hear someone say, I would have traded all this, all that I got from them, all that came from I would have traded it all just for more time with them, more presence with them. And so sometimes that heart of want to provide can battle out our presence, but we need to be present. Sometimes our passions can take us away, right? The things that we're passionate about, uh, um, Maybe it's a hobby that you're involved with. And how many times do your passions, whether it's doing a project out in the garage or going out hitting some golf balls or engaging some other activity, how many times does that win out over your presence in your family? Or maybe you're living out your passions through your family at their expense. Kind of one of those things where, yeah, no one likes doing this except dad, but it's dad's passion, so we'll do it. Again, there's a place for those things, but if this is elevated over presence, if this is elevated over engaging in relationship with one another, then we've lost out. I think for me, one of the ways that I see this is, again, I've shared before that I like to do different projects, and anytime I'm doing a project, without fail, from out in the garage one of the kids comes in the garage. If I'm in the basement, one of the kids come in the basement. And what question do they have on their mind? Can I help? Can I help? And of course, the first thing I ask is, where are your shoes? <laughs> or where are your pants in some cases? We get that resolved. And then I have this question to figure out. Am I going to be present and engage with my kids or am I going to let my passion take over? Because there's a part of me that just wants to get it done. Because I know if, I, if I'm engaged with them, be present in that moment, it's going to take longer. It's not going to be done to the point, the, the way I want it to be done. But the benefit of pausing and putting my presence with my kids, my presence with my loved ones over my passions. Again, passions aren't a bad thing. But our presence that we can offer to our loved ones is a much better way to show love. One more and then we'll move on off of this point here. I think sometimes there's a constant battle for our presence. I think one of those things that constantly battles is our preoccupations. There's all the things in this world that battle for our attention. All the things that are battling for our attention. 
And if you say, Steve, but no one's wanting my time, no one's, no one's you know, pulling on my pant leg, no one's saying, hey, dad, or, or hey, honey, or whatever it is, hey, can we talk? No, no one's begging for my time, so I, I'm not sacrificing my presence. Well, maybe it's because we've been so preoccupied they've just stopped asking. And so we need to ask ourselves, again, this example is geared towards men, towards fathers, towards husbands, but this applies for all of us as we think about one another's in our immediate family. Are we offering our presence or are we preoccupied? Is there always some kind of screen right in front of our face or are we making time to engage with one another? What are the different ways that we become preoccupied? Is there always one more thing that you have to tackle for work or one more uh, uh, um, you know, function that you have to finish up before you can go spend time with your family? Uh, I was at a uh, a kindergarten recital, which uh, if you're not familiar with kindergarten recitals, imagine the cutest thing possible and then the next cutest thing possible and just put them all in a room together and mix it up. And it's just a lot of cuteness and it's pretty awesome. And uh, so I was, I was sitting in the audience and uh, this dad comes in late. Um, I, I know because you know, the mom, people are trying to sit in the spot. Oh no, someone's coming, someone's coming. And then things start and the seat's still open. And then all of a sudden this, this dad comes in. You can tell I just kind of was best dressed in business attire. And so he sits down and, and they got a little one who's being a, a little difficult and he's trying to help with that. And um, you know, so I'm kind of taking this all in. And in the midst of one of these cute moments where all the kindergartners are singing their songs together, I, I see him and he, he does this thing where he pulls out his phone and all of a sudden he, he, he's looking at his, his email. And he's looking at it. He's kind of taking it all in. Okay, I can, I, I, he literally, he's right over my shoulder so I can see it. And uh, so he's going through all that, and I can see that he's deleting some. And again, I, I don't know exactly what he does or, or what he was checking. And uh, from my viewpoint, it seemed inconsequential, something that could have waited. Uh, maybe he's undercover and saving the world. I don't know. If he was, my apologies for using this example. But in the moment, I had this heart of, come on, Dad. Be present for your family. And it almost quickly built this, this kind of judgmental heart, this judgmental attitude. And then I was quickly humbled when I was reminded of Steve. When has that been you? And examples started coming to mind. And, and stories, you know, times where my kids deserved and, and, and needed, and, and my wife deserved and needed my, my attention, my presence. And I was just quickly checking something that could have been put off to later. So what are the preoccupations that are robbing our loved ones of our presence. And just the truth is this. As we look at the life of Jesus, he was present. He was present in the life of his disciples. We see that with three, with 12, with seven, over 70, over hundreds. He was present in the life of the community. He would heal and teach and preach. And yes, he also found time to get away to be with the Father, but he came from heaven to us. He gave us the gift of his presence. And so let us follow suit in the love of Jesus and show it to one another by being present. Two other examples real quick of how we can love our families. Uh, so we talked about specifically our families in our homes. I want you to think about the family as far as uh, the family of God. This local body, this church, this expression of the local body living together, doing life together. If we look through the pages of the New Testament, we come across just shy of about 58, 59, one another statements. Statements where we're commanded, this is how you treat one another. Now, disclaimer, those 59, there are some duplicates. There's like five or six of them just simply say, love one another. And so they're not all 59 separate commands, but there's this list that we could look through the pages of the New Testament. Say, if this is, you know, how do we live as the church? Well, here's the, you do these things 
to each other. This is how you care for how you love one another. Uh, Andy Stanley, a pastor down south, says it this way. The primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. And so look at all these one another statements. Hey, have you ever come across someone who uh, maybe they maybe they're, they're hurt by the church or there's some bad experience or they just they maybe they don't see the need or they, they really value their Sunday mornings and don't want to engage in the life of the community, uh, life of the church, which happens more than just Sunday, by the way. Uh, but uh, and they say something like, "Well, I'm, I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe in the church." But here's the truth: without being engaged in the life of the family of God, those are 59 statements that we can't live out. How are we going to love one another within the church if we're not engaged as a part of that family? And so let's love one another in our, in our families. Let's love one another in the family of God. And then let's love one another in the hopefully future family of God. In the hopefully future family of God. What I mean by that is this. There's two people in the world. There's people who are children of God. And there's people who have an invitation to become children of God who haven't received it yet. People who are children of God people who have received an invitation to become a child of God who haven't received it yet. And so we need to love those who don't know because they haven't heard or they haven't seen or, or it just it hasn't been a point in their life where they want to take that step of trust in God. And so we can show them love. We can show Christ through the way that we live. And that brings us to our last point. We are remade to love one another as Jesus loved us. In doing so, when we do this, this is, this is just, we think about this, it'll blow your mind. In doing so, others will see God in us. Others will see God in us. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. So when we surrender our lives to Jesus and trust in him and follow his example of sacrifice, of service, of presence in the ways that we love one another, you can zero that in or you can keep it broad. But who are the one another's in your life? When we love one another with that kind of love, God is seen in that. And his love is perfected. People come to know more about who God is when they see that. And again, that brings us right back to the first thing two weeks ago we talked about why we're made, to give God glory. So when God is seen in the ways that he works in and through us, he is given all glory for that. So Madeline, let's love one another in our sacrifice. Let's love one another in our service. Let's love one another with our presence. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for your example in Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you uh, did sacrifice for us so that we could be in relationship <clears throat> with the Father. We thank you that you came to serve, not to be served. We thank you for your presence. Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to each one of us here as we think about um, our families, as we think about the family of God, as we think about those in our community that you've invited to be a part of the family, God. As we think about the one another's in our lives, Father God, help us to love them the ways that you love. Help us to be present in the lives of our families. Help us to make much of the name of Jesus that others would see you when we engage with you, Father, and surrender our lives to you. We love you so much. We trust in you. We thank you for uh, those who are our moms and those who, who take on a mother role and care for us so selflessly. We thank you for their example, Father God. We pray, pray in this day that you would bless them as well. We give you all the glory. Praise all in your name. Amen.